0: Open your ears and crack some DayQuil because everybody is sick. You are listening to episode 35 of Retro Hangover.
1: You are listening to the Retro Hangover Podcast, episode 35, where we are going to deliver atomic action allowed in allotments, allocating allowances at all attainment agencies. Again, at attention, you are listening to the Retro Hangover Podcast, as previously stated, with beers, not Dayquil, you fucking weirdo. I'm your co-host, Chris (laughs) Copleen, and I am joined by our host, Shane. My dick dragon is ready Kosky.
0: I mean, you know, if you take some of that I hear anyway, uh some some of that there Robitussin, and some Sprite. I hear you can make some pretty decent purple drank. So that's kinda like beer. Racist. Uh no. Listen, that that's like a cross-sectional sort of thing, you know? Anybody can have it if they want. You could go down to Walgreens, buy those ingredients right now if you wanted to. Not that I'm condoning that, but it's possible.
1: We we have gone down a very awkward uh, conversation point. In any case, welcome back to Retro Hangover, our audience uh, that we very much love. Uh, Shane, how are you doing this week? What are you up to other than cracking DayQuil while I'm cracking beers?
0: Yeah, uh, I'm sick as shit, yo. Um, I don't know. It's been what, two or three days now, I guess. And, uh, I came down with, you know, the good old sore throat thing, which has now migrated into my sinuses, which by the way, I'll just get that out of the, out of the way right now that I apologize to our listeners. If I sound kind of nasally, that is why, um, doing the best I can with that. But outside of that, um, let's see what I've been up to. Still working on my new game plus of Dark Souls. Um, So I'm actually at the Tomb of Giants right now. So close to finishing it again. And um, I actually wrapped up my, or I'm very, very close to wrapping up my playthrough of uh, Resident Evil HD. Yeah, because I didn't actually finish it for our episode. So I went back and uh, I was playing that today, actually. Uh, So I just made it into the lab. So I'm pretty close to being done with that and outside of that um let's see still playing some assassin's creed rogue and and my usual mobile stuff although i gotta be honest i i have to make a confession um i think i I think i might be about ready to quit playing final fantasy record keeper i'm sorry to say
1: i i i pretty much already have
0: yeah i i just i kind of came to the realization that um I, I kind of just log in for the, the, the daily login bonus and then I don't really play. So, like, what's the point of having it, you know? Plus the other two, like, mobile games that I that take up most of my time with that anyway, I'm, I'm much more invested in. Um, so I think I might be retiring record keeper. And also Elder Scrolls Blades still sucks balls. So I'm probably going to uninstall that soon. They, They are just doing nothing but fucking that one up. But anyway, that's shocked. me. What have you been up to, Chris?
1: Uh, What have I been up to? Uh, So, I'm just uh, usual stuff, college. Uh, I beat the uh, really good game, because I wanted to say best game ever, but it's not the best game ever. It's just a very, very good game. Excellent game, actually. Uh, Panzer Dragoon Saga. So that is complete. I can put that uh, feather in my cap after years and years and years of not being able to play it. So that's good. Uh, Finally able to finish that game. And I'm going to tell everyone, of course, emulate it, because if you want to buy it, you are stupid. And that's uh, about the long and the short of that story, because everyone who buys it is dumb. Not knowing anyone who bought it. Right, Shane? No, no, no. one We know who bought it.
0: Anyway, uh, moving forward. Nobody that I know. Also, speaking of that, by the way, I, I may have got that up and running on my machine, so I'll probably be playing that soon. Sweet.
1: So, uh, by the way, since so many people liked our post on Instagram this week uh, for the Panzer Regen saga Saga uh, picture I put up there, uh, if you want to have an episode on that, by all means, just say you want one, and it'll, it shall be done, I guess. Anyway, moving, fo- moving on. I uh, also started playing Wild Arms 2, which is actually a lot more fun than I thought it would be. Because Wild Arms 1 is a boring slog. And anyone who says otherwise, I do not do not understand you. Uh, oh yeah, I, I found out that I, I really am frustrated with the way that certain PlayStation games are read by PlayStations. Because I have uh, Namco Museum Volume 2. And I first of all, I had to go through all my discs, right? Because one of the reasons I'm playing... Wild Arms 2 is, well, there's a lot of reasons. So first of all, I was going to go play Final Fantasy Fifteen after uh, beating Panzer and Saga. But my wife Steam-vacked the entire living room, which is where my PlayStation 4 is. So, of course, once you Steam-vack an area, you can't go in there. And the couch was Steam-vacked, too. So you don't want to go anywhere near there. You don't want to sit down in it because you don't want to make things dirty. So I was like, well, screw it. I'm going to start playing a PlayStation or older game again while I have to wait. So I start going through my CD case because I don't really have the room to have a bunch of cases up or bookcases or stuff like that. So for easy access, I put in a CD case. I know some of you are going to call me sacrilegious. Well, if you do eat a dick, but that's fine. Um, So I start realizing that one of my cases, the zipper doesn't work, which hasn't been a problem until I realized it was a problem because I started realizing that the zipper teeth were scratching the tops of the uh, discs inside. Which isn't so much a problem for DVDs and Blu-rays, but is a massive problem for CDs. So, I noticed my one of my discs, Namco Museum Volume 2, had some top damage to it. It wasn't major. So, I went ahead and threw it inside my PlayStation. And it read that it was a PlayStation game. didn't wouldn't, wouldn't boot the movie. Uh, put in my PlayStation 3. wouldn't boot the game. It wouldn't boot the opening movie. So, then I took it and got it resurfaced. Still wouldn't boot. Um, so I ended up getting another copy for actually a really good deal. Um, really, really good deal. But um, had to get rid of the other one. So I'm looking through all my discs, and a couple of them were scratched, but they still booted up. So you know, I'm, I'm going through these games that have the, C- especially the CDs that have some issues with it. And then I noticed a game that I have is called uh, Deception Two. It's uh, Kagero Deception Two. It's beat to shit. This this CD is just looks awful. And the, the shitty thing is it's kind of a rare game that not a lot of people know. So I'm like, shit, man, I don't I don't have to get another fucking game. I, I'm not gonna get this one because I don't think I paid dick for it. But I turn the CD over and there's like this giant gash on the on the underside and there's top damage all over. I'm like, there's no fucking way this game's gonna work. So first time I throw it in, game doesn't fucking work. Um, second time I throw it in, all of a sudden it miraculously works. And I'm like, you cannot you cannot be kidding me. A game that has absolutely no damage, doesn't work, have to rebuy it, give the old copy, trade it in at the local video game store, and this game that I paid nothing for that was absolutely beat to shit, older game, uh, works fine. So it's kind of bittersweet. I know I just kind of rambled on about how I probably don't take proper care of my video games, Uh, but that's what's been going on with me, and uh, that's pretty much it. And I get to travel some more later on, and it's going to be great. Uh, so I love all of you, and I'm glad to share this episode in frustration this week.
0: <laughs> so, okay, but that was that's for the original PlayStation, right, that you were talking about? Yes. Yeah, I mean, aren't, aren't those notoriously finicky as far as, like, the, the, the laser eye is concerned? Like, wouldn't it be better just to run those in a PS2?
1: Well, I fun fact, I don't own a PS1, so I ran it in a PS2.
0: Huh. And it still wouldn't work. Okay.
1: Right. And then I put it in a PS3. Hmm.
0: That's weird that, and, and so did you, do you know like what the, the technical reasoning is behind why a top scratch would actually be worse for those discs versus like other types of disc based media? That just seems strange to me.
1: So it's more about how, how they're layered from what I can understand. Cause I don't know too much about the technical uh-huh. specifications, but like, DVDs and Blu-rays and other discs, they're layered in such a way that um, if there's a scratch on the top of it, like, it won't read that there's nothing there. So, essentially, what I'm understanding, and I could be completely wrong, but if... The, like, the top cover for a CD is essentially to make sure that when the disc is read by the laser that the laser doesn't shoot through the CD. Sure. So, when... Um, the laser is spinning, of course, if there's no top paint on it, it's not going to be able to read any of the data on the bottom because it's essentially going straight through the actual CD and it's not able to pick up that data.
0: Hmm. Okay. I mean, that makes sense. I don't know. That's <clears throat> that's that's why I'm I'm glad that most of most of my stuff is not physical. Like I I know that you're 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 the collector out of the two of us, so I know that you've you've got way more of that stuff. But for, for me, like just having a digital collection seems so much more or, or so much less of a hassle, I guess. I, I could, but then, I, yeah. but then I don't, then I don't, you know, I don't, I don't get that satisfaction of having that nice collection to to show off and and post on our Instagram. So, so, yeah. you, so you've got that going for us.
1: And I did get a physical copy of Final Fantasy Adventure for anyone who wants to say we're doing anything illegal. Not that you cared anyway. But
0: no, that that's it's, true. Yeah. It's
1: on the books, legal. Don't ask me how I got a picture of Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. Um, cause I'm not going to tell you, even though you could probably figure that out anyway. Um, yeah. Speaking
0: yeah. of Final Fantasy Adventure, um, <clears throat> anybody that's been following us on, on our social media will know that that's, that's going to be what we're going to be picking up again to hopefully finish this time on our stream Sunday. Because if you happen to catch the, the VOD of our previous stream from this past week, where we played Sweet Home, which is the, uh, sort of, uh, inspiration for Resident Evil, uh, despite what some other YouTube gaming pundits might tell you, that game sucks ass.
1: It's not very good.
0: And, uh, so it was not a fun time. <laughs> that was like an hour and a half of my life that I kind of wish that I could get back. But, uh, we'll, we'll be, we'll be going back and, and hopefully finishing up, uh, Final Fantasy Adventure. But that is later. So, uh, Chris, what are we talking about today?
1: Right. Today, we are going to be talking about Reggie Phil's Amy.
0: Ah, yes. Phil's I, me.
1: Phil's I, me. That, that guy. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I mean, um, before we really go into the, the nitty gritty and Shane does the brief history, this is the first episode, I believe where we're doing a profile on a person. I believe so. So we're trying to make this a tighter episode. Um, that will probably be, if you like this format, let us know. We're always trying to do new things for you guys. So absolutely, uh, let us know how it goes and Shane, take it away.
0: Born in the Bronx on the 25th of March, 1961, to first-generation Haitian immigrants, Reginald fils was, from the very beginning, all about kicking ass and taking names, and eventually making games. Reggie's parents left Haiti for America as they were not allowed to marry in their home country. During the 1950s, Haiti was deep in the midst of a conflict between a military dictatorship and a democratic government. Reggie's grandfather on his mother's side was a member of the aforementioned governmental body, while his paternal grandfather served as a general in the opposing military. Though both of his parents were educated through the Haitian college system, neither of them could speak English, having to learn it once they arrived in New York. Reggie's mother found a career in sales at a jewelry store, becoming a lead sales representative as of 2007, while his father, who is now retired, found steady work as a machinist. From a very early age, Reggie had a keen interest in science. According to Reggie himself, he even went so far as to purchase college-level chemistry texts while only in middle school. Rounding out his interests, Reggie also avidly participated in organized sports, playing on the varsity basketball and soccer teams for Brentwood High School in Suffolk County, Long Island. Reggie would further his academic career at Cornell University, attending between 1979 and 1983. With a major in applied economics, while at Cornell, he would also serve as the president of the university's Phi Sigma Kappa fraternity chapter. While still an undergraduate at Cornell, Reggie would be chosen by Procter and Gamble to participate in their brand management program, something that was typically reserved for postgrad candidates. This opportunity would serve as a means for Reggie to secure a full-time position in Procter & Gamble's food and beverage division from 1983 to 1991. Reggie would then go on to accept a position as a senior director of national marketing at Pizza Hut, where he was instrumental in launching the Bigfoot Pizza and the Big New Yorker. fils believes his time with Pizza Hut was educational, going on record as saying, In the restaurant business, you learn how you're doing the next day. The mid to late 90s would see Reggie making several career moves, serving as Head of Marketing for Guinness Imports in the US, Chief Marketing Officer at Derby Cycle, Managing Director at Raleigh, UK, and Senior Vice President of Panda Management Company. Yes, the Chinese food chain. In 2001, Fizame would join MTV's VH1 Network as Senior Vice President. During his tenure, Reggie was responsible for a 30% increase in ratings for the network. This was accomplished by his push to shift the channel's focus to a younger demographic. Hot off the heels of his success at VH1, fils took a position as Executive Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Nintendo in 2003. This role made Reggie responsible for all sales and marketing activities in the US, Canada, and Latin America. Visame was coming into Nintendo at a difficult time. The gaming behemoth was dealing with a decidedly negative public perception, one that pigeonholed the company as childish and immature in comparison to their industry counterparts, as well as a struggling console, the GameCube, which was severely underperforming when sized up against Microsoft's Xbox and Sony's PlayStation 2. Reggie's first official introduction to the public, kicking off Nintendo's E3 2004 presentation, would change all of that practically overnight. Fizeme led off the conference with the now famous words: My name is Reggie, I'm about kicking ass, I'm about taking names, and
1: we're about making games.
0: Reggie's in-your-face approach, theatrical antics, and willingness to directly attack their competitors' business practices quickly gained him a cult following among gamers, as well as the nickname The Reginator. Interestingly, in interviews several years after E3 2004, fils would go on to say that the presentation wasn't actually his idea. Rather, it was written by a contracted public relations firm and he himself had to be convinced that the aggressive approach was the right way to go. He was also completely unaware of how popular his presentation had made him until his 16-year-old son informed him that he was, in fact, famous. During the mid-2000s, Fizame would work to completely revamp Nintendo's long-standing public relations policies in North America. He considered it essential to market to not only the ever-changing youth demographic, but the long-time fans as well. Reggie also redefined how Nintendo interacted with retail vendors. Rather than seeking vendors' favor, and as a result, better in-store placement of products, fils flipped the script by drafting agreements where vendors would only get Nintendo products if they ordered sufficiently high volumes of stock. This was risky, but given the success of the newly released Nintendo DS, and later the Wii, it was a gamble that paid off. Roughly two years after his infamous E3 introduction, on May 26th of 2006, Fizume became the President and Chief Operating Officer of Nintendo of America, filling the position after former President Tatsumi Kimishima was moved to a new role as Chairman of the Board and CEO. Notably, Fizume was the first American to ever hold this prestigious position within Nintendo. This period in Nintendo's history would be one of unprecedented success, though, Reggie was quick to point out that this was largely thanks to Nintendo's then President Satoru Iwata. Despite his humility, it cannot be ignored that Fizeme's execution of a more inclusive marketing strategy greatly contributed to the company's financial boom. Up until this time, video games were almost exclusively marketed to boys and young men. The Nintendo Wii broke from this paradigm, heavily marketing towards families and even the elderly. During the introduction of the Wii Balance Board on July 11, 2007, Reggie would utter the only phrase that would become more tightly associated with him than his bombastic E3 opening line in 2004. fils walked on stage and simply said, My body, ready, my body is ready. This would begin to trend for fils where he would routinely lean into his onstage gaffes and quotable phrases for comedic effect, further endearing him to the Nintendo community. In 2011, Nintendo would begin a series of short online video presentations known as Nintendo Directs, wherein Reggie would act as a host, presenter, and participate in goofy skits to advertise games or entertain the viewers. The early to mid 2010s, however, would bring some tough times for Reggie and Nintendo. The Wii U console failed to meet expectations, largely due to a poor naming choice that did not adequately distinguish it from its predecessor, the Wii, as well as a lack of effective marketing. Additionally, fils boss, mentor, and friend, Nintendo president Satoru Iwata, would tragically pass away in 2015 from complications due to a bile duct tumor. Despite all of this, Reggie's unrelenting positivity would endure. His wife, Stacy Sanner, spoke of her husband's disposition, stating, he's not given to any sort of negative thinking. He doesn't worry, he doesn't waffle, He doesn't waver, he doesn't agonize. fils would use the Wii U as a harsh, but necessary learning experience when marketing Nintendo's current flagship console, the Switch. He knew that the message needed to be crystal clear, so gamers would know exactly what the system was and what to expect. This approach paid off. As of the beginning of 2019, the Switch has sold over 32 million units worldwide, making it the fastest selling console of this generation. All good things do eventually come to an end, however. On February 21st of this year, Fizame officially announced his retirement from Nintendo, which took effect on April 15th. He has since been replaced by the company's then head of sales, Doug Bowser. Reginald Fizame, the Haitian science loving kid from the Bronx, has left behind an admirable legacy. His affable, warm personality brought a much needed breath of fresh air to Nintendo. Revitalizing a fan community that was in desperate need of the one thing games ought to provide fun. And that is your brief history of Reggie Fizame.
1: Thank you, Shane. That was a very brief history indeed. Like, like, <laughs> was a very it? detailed brief history. <laughs>
0: I mean, you know, if you're going to sum up a man's life in like two or three pages, I, I would still consider that somewhat brief.
1: It doesn't matter. It's a miserable pile of secrets. That's all a man is.
0: <laughs> True. Lest we forget.
1: Yes. In any case, uh, Reggie fils not a miserable pile of secrets. Uh, probably one of the most recognizable executives in the industry, I would say, uh, especially from a more casual uh, viewpoint. Uh, for this YouTube generation, uh, there's not many executives that people enjoy, that people appreciate, uh, that people can relate to. And Reggie fils was probably one of those first executives in the video game scene that was that person.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I'm not sure if he was the first, but he was definitely at the forefront of it. Um And, and he did it so well too. uh, just the, the personality that I I honestly, not that I know the man personally, of course, but you know, I think just his own personality kind of shining through in everything that he did. Um, he was just a very likable guy and, and it's funny because a lot of, uh, particularly if you've ever watched, uh, you know, video game conferences like E3, for example, Uh, or, you know, Tokyo game show or, or any of those, a lot of those, uh, video game execs, you know, will get up there, um, like, you know, Phil Spector, for example, or someone Mm -hmm. like that. Not that I'm trying to call someone else specifically, but they usually get up there and, um, they're just super awkward, right? Like they, you can tell that they're reading off a script and that they're very stilted and they don't really know how to handle themselves in front of a crowd of people. right? Um, and, and as a result, not that it's necessarily their fault, but as a result, they kind of come across as uh, almost weirdly robotic in a way. And um, I really do think that Reggie kind of struck this great balance between being, he's still awkward as hell. I mean, his, his presentations were still super awkward in that way. But it was like, he's pleasantly awkward. Right? That's the thing, right? Is like, he kind of straddled this line of like, listen, I I know that I'm, I'm sort of awkward in this way. But but also, he's still a very effective public speaker. And his sort of personality kind of made it so that you kind of almost look at him as like, oh, that's, that's cute. He's kind of like, that bumbling guy, he, you know, he's like your lovable uncle or something. And it never came across as, like, super cringy. Like, it, it, there were times where a lot of Nintendo's more over-the-top presentations, particularly ones that involved him, could have gotten that way. But I think they did a really good job of, like, just getting close enough without going overboard.
1: Well, I think uh, the thing about the audience, Reggie Fizame, was... Approaching when we talk about awkwardness, when you talk about warm and lovable but awkward, sure. For a long time, that was your key ge- demographic in the video game industry. That awkwardness yeah. that that people kind of were people who are big fans of video games. Uh, I'm sure a lot of our audience can attest to this. Are largely awkward people, big big bigger fans for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. Video games has always kind of been, and maybe I'm more speaking for myself, but a form of escapism. From, from the reality you kind of have to deal with every day. So if you, if you don't feel like you fit in with reality, there's probably a good chance that uh, people in your reality may view you as awkward. Uh, so they might see someone who is awkward and relatable and warm, but not awkward in a kind of I don't really want to talk to you kind of sense, but awkward in I want to talk to you, I want to engage with you, uh, and I want to sell you my product. And it's kind of like, oh, this guy's kind of cool you know he's he's not too char- he's charismatic but he's not overly suave and charismatic so as a gamer you could kind of relate to him better and i think it's very important that he was that way because it, he did expand the north american audience for who played video games it's not just a boys game anymore it's not just a like teenagers game anymore or early 20s game anymore You would have a very robust group of people playing video games. And while I won't attribute that all to Reggie, I will say he was probably very instrumental in making it more acceptable, especially for Nintendo consoles um, and, and the Nintendo brand of family gaming, to be accepted for... The general public and everyone to kind of embrace and say, yeah, we we don't have a problem playing these games or letting our kids play these games or playing these games with our children.
0: Sure, yeah. And, and, you know, not that, as you said, not that any one person is necessarily solely responsible for the direction of a company, but um, it it can pretty safely be said that um, Reggie's sort of marketing tactic of, you know, being more inclusive and expanding the the target demographic for Nintendo um, was it was definitely something that he sort of spearheaded um, that wasn't something that they had really been uh, leveraging prior to him kind of showing up. And it also set the tone for the company for the next, well, several years, arguably up until today, that, you know, particularly with the Wii, I mean, you saw a very noticeable shift um, in their marketing strategy, like all of the advertisements and like commercials for the Wii console all focused almost exclusively on families. It wasn't it wasn't like the attitude era of of gaming consoles, right? Like in the early uh-huh. 90s or whatever where both Nintendo and Sega were just trying to throw as many neon colors and like screaming guys in a commercial as they could.
1: Or exploding Um, Yoshi people.
0: Right, right. Or other just obnoxious stuff like that to catch basically teens and young boys attention. Uh, It was it was starkly different. And it's something that has very uh, significantly shaped Nintendo's path forward. uh, Like I said, up until today.
1: Me, me me being a parent now, now obviously I'm not the typical parent back in 2006 or the early 2000s um, because I have had a life of playing video games. But you know, I think about advertisers and it's like, hey, guys, do you, do you want to pay $600 for this machine uh, that will have crying babies that shake and do all sorts of weird things? And oh <laughs> uh, you can uh, – These hears- commercials are so weird. Yes. And experience – This with saliva singing hardcore metal in the background saying, welcome to the show, motherfuckers. PlayStation 3 is here. (laughs) Click, click, boom, bitches. (laughs) Yeah. Or you can spend $250 and play bowling with grandma. Um, I can tell you (laughs) that probably parents back in 2006 were like, well, we want to play bowling with grandma. We don't want to spend $600 to have a weird creepy baby invade our bedroom. So yeah, it, was, it was really brilliant on that aspect from an advertising point, uh, how they executed that and how they really brought the weed to the forefront of the American family during that time. But I do want to point out, I don't think a lot of people have questioned this. At least I've never heard this question when discussing uh, Reggie fils Was mm-hmm. he more of a product – the, the success, successes that he had, was it more of a product of him, him being in the right place at the right time when we're talking about the Nintendo DS and the Nintendo Wii, or um, was he really good, just that good at making sure that numbers increased? Would would, ha, would the Nintendo DS and Wii have the same success if he was not the uh, president of America and putting this stuff out? Because we still have to remember, the 3DS didn't launch so well in North America, the Wii U mm-hmm. absolutely flopped. But when they were successes in America, you also have to look they were successes in Japan and same with the systems that did not do so well.
0: Yeah, I'd say, you know, I I think it's it's a combination of of both. Um I I think I think he was the right person for that right time. It wasn't that he was just lucky that he came in at the time that these things were about to happen. I think that if it had been anybody else, I would make the argument that I don't think um, Nintendo would have been as successful during that period um, if it hadn't been him. Uh, he, I mean, his track record up until that point... Uh, was one of really nothing but successes. Uh, I mean, like I said, you know, prior to coming to Nintendo, he saw a thirty percent increase in in viewership, right? Uh, uh-huh. At VH1, and that was largely attributed to his his sort of shift in focus for the channel. I think he, you know, a, as a as a sales and marketing guy, I, I think he just had a real intrinsic knowledge, or has a real intrinsic knowledge of how to sort of properly communicate these things to the right um, audiences. And on top of that, I mean, you can be the greatest salesman in the world, but you could have a shit personality. And luckily, um, Reggie's kind of got a little bit of everything. I mean, uh, and and this is sort of segueing into one of the other things that I kind of wanted to to chat about, uh, about this, because, you know, we're talking a lot about sales and marketing, right? And most of the time whenever you say those words, a lot of people um recoil. Re- yeah, exactly. They shudder a little bit. Um and, and you know, maybe rightly so. But it, it kind of begs the question, right, of okay, well, the guy is uh, is a salesman at heart, you know. He he's a marketing guy. So you could ask the question how how much of this was a very carefully constructed persona that he was leveraging in order to sell you products. Uh, and granted, that's a pretty cynical outlook on it, but I think it's a legitimate question. Uh, and I suppose the answer to that really is, I think enough of of his genuine personality kind of shown through in a lot of what he did that I, I don't believe that that was the case. And again, more of the cynically minded of us, you know, have kind of made that, you know, commentary of, well, you know, a lot of people in the, in the gaming community, particularly Nintendo fans, have kind of latched onto this guy and like, you know, okay, so he's kind of goofy and whatever. And is, you know, should you really be throwing this much praise at someone who is essentially just trying to sell you something, uh, and, and my counter argument to that is, uh, of course, you don't want to necessarily build up these people as your idols. Um, uh, that's he's just general life He's an executive at the end of the day, right? Exactly. He, you know, he he's an executive level guy in a in a major multinational corporation. He doesn't necessarily deserve to be anyone's idol in that way. But when you look at the video gaming landscape, the the industry itself. Who, do, who else do we have, you know? If you're comparing him against other major executives, I mean, we've got what? Uh, Miyamoto. Bobby, we've got Miyamoto, sure. But if you're if you're looking outside of Nintendo, right?
1: Outside of Nintendo. I would say the closest one uh, that I can think of, or at least they've tried to, is John Cerny.
0: Sure, yeah. I, I don't think that it's quite on the same level, but yeah. No,
1: it's nowhere and, near the same level. But I, that's the only one I could really see... Outside of Nintendo,
0: and see that's the thing, right? That, that like, has
1: that kind of familiarity.
0: Yeah, and, and and we're struggling to even come up with another example, right? So mm-hmm. the the other alternatives are people, our options usually for for people who are kind of you know deeper into the the video gaming scene, I guess if you want to call it that, um, are either executives who are. Mostly detached from the product, and they're really only concerned with, you know, the uh, stockholders and their profit margins, and really don't give a shit about video games to begin with or, or the community that surrounds it. Or you end up with uh, the very outspoken jackasses that end up making fools of themselves on social media and, and causing all manner of scandals. So you've got like the, Bob, the Bobby, the Bobby Codex of the world. You've got notch, unfortunately, who has revealed himself to be a total jack hole. <laughs> uh, and, 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 and then you've got, um, uh, what was the other one that I was thinking of? Bobby Codex and, uh, uh, Gearbox, uh, Randy Pitchford. That was the other one. Mm. Also kind of a slime ball. So those are your options, right? So comparatively, and it's sad. It's a sad state of affairs, but the fact that you have an executive level person who by all accounts is a a cool guy. He actually likes the product that he's selling. He invests himself personally. He will go and he, you know, would speak to, you know, uh, YouTubers and, um, has never had any sort of major scandal. He is a family man. He's got a wife and kids that uh, he's living with in Seattle currently. Uh, That is actually a rarity, which again, like I said, super sad, but that's kind of the state of affairs. So if that is what we as gamers have, then I can't really blame us for for sort of latching onto this guy and kind of building him up to be this sort of icon because – He's the one of the very, very few positive, uh, I guess, role models, if you want to call it that, in the uh, video game industry.
1: Positive personality. I wouldn't call him a role model, per sure, se. Sure, personality. Sure, but we'll, a we'll go with that. Because I,
0: because I do want to avoid like the the idolization thing, because I don't think right. that that's healthy. Um, so yeah, let's go with personality, but I mean, I I feel like I'm talking a lot, but that's, I, I just, that's kind of my feelings on that. I don't know how, you know, what your viewpoint is on it.
1: So uh, the the reason I asked that question as to whether or not, you know, going back a a bit is to whether or not was he the right person at the right time. Uh, he just happened to be at, be with Nintendo during a time. Nintendo would have been successful regardless. Now, once again, I'm speaking from the position of someone who has always been relatively deep into video games throughout their life, so I'm sure a lot of people may not have been big into video games and saw Reggie Fils-Aimé and thought, "Oh, this guy is cute and cuddly. Let's let's sign up for Team Nintendo." So he got there in what what again 2003?
0: Yeah, is when he got to Nintendo.
1: So like personally, I, I didn't play a lot of video games. I wasn't hardcore into video games. For a couple of years, mostly because that's when I just had joined the Navy, I didn't really have a setup that uh, I did before I joined. So, I mean, in terms of video game news, in terms, I, mean, I still play games, don't get me wrong. But in terms of the level of dedication I had to video games between 2003 and I'll say probably about 2007, uh, mm-hmm. after I played Mass Effect and Mario Odyssey, and they're like, oh, wow, there's I'm interested in gaming again. The personality of Reggie Fizama never really grabbed me, so I still got a Nintendo DS just because it was a Nintendo system and I could play all my old Game Boy Advance games on there that I that I still had. And it was a new technology; had a touchscreen, it was a new way to play games. Uh, that's the reason I was interested in the Wii because it was just a new way to play games. Uh, being able to swing your sword in Twilight Princess, even though it's probably the inferior way to play that game by any stretch of the imagination, uh, was was. Interesting. Uh, being able to play Wii Sports, even though you figure out you just don't have to do all the motions you need to do, was was, was fun. It was different. It wasn't a cheap knockoff, knockoff product. It had really nothing to do with Reggie. Um, it just had to do with my interest as a gamer. Now, here's where I find more the ironic part, is the thing that kept me engaged with Nintendo... Are those press conferences where I started to really see Reggie and recognize him as an executive and as a spokesperson for the company more towards the ends of the Wii's life and uh, beginning of the Wii U life cycles where I started paying attention and seeing him as a personality Mm -hmm. because his skits and the way he delivered things, it was very self-aware. It was very self-referential. He, he was, uh, again, a charismatic, warm personality uh, that didn't take himself too seriously, I found. And it made their Nintendo Directs, especially when they started going over to the Nintendo Directs, extremely entertaining. And it kept me engaged with a platform that necessarily would not have kept me engaged uh, 10 years prior. It just, you know, I was like, wow, these games are still interesting. They're still fun. I think they really tapped into nostalgia. And the way that he and um, Satoru Iwata and Shigeru Miyamoto all kind of melded very well, and how they presented themselves on these directs, and how their personalities kind of matched. You have Satoru Iwata that was about making fun games. You have Shigeru Miyamoto that's that's kind of like has a childlike approach on how one should enjoy video games when he's designing them. And then you have Reggie Fizeme who just looks like he just wants you to have fun with what he's trying to sell you. And it worked out very well, and. Lots of entertaining skits. I know you have your favorite. My favorite is, uh, or one of my favorites, is when he burns uh, the, the Mother 3 fan when they kept on asking for it. And, you know, that's because we're never going to get Mother 3. Ha ha ha. Um, download the emulator. And that's what Nintendo's official statement is, essentially. And that's all you're going to get. By the way, I would like to see Mother 3 officially released. It's just not going to happen. But I'm still going to laugh at you. But those were, that's the thing. is That is deep into the video game game. Culture. There's not, on the mainstream video game culture, how many people know about Mother 3? But it just showed Nintendo knew their fans. Reggie knew how to advertise to the people that loved them. So, I'm kind of torn. I think he perpetuated Nintendo fandom, but I think at some point it's hard to determine whether or not he could bring in new fans to the market after the Wii uh, and you could say, well, what about the Switch? And well, what about the Switch? That's just a hit, just because of the way it was designed. But I think he was very good at keeping the people who love Nintendo there, as opposed to bringing new people in after the success of the Wii.
0: Mm, yeah, well, <clears throat> so I think I would agree, given the given your your caveat of it being after the Wii. So I, I think he struck that balance really well through the sort of the Wii period where. You know, he was able to keep the longtime Nintendo fans engaged, but also bring in a much larger demographic. But yeah, I I think, and this isn't just for Reggie, I think it was just for Nintendo in general. That was sort of their, right. their high point, right? Yeah. And then things just kind of fell off again with the Wii U due to, you know, some of the kind of blunders around that one that we mentioned in the history. And if you've been around in, in the gaming community long enough, you probably already, you know, you were there for that. So you kind of know how that went down. Um, I think for me, it was interesting because I've been a Nintendo player for most of my life. You know, I'm sure most of our listeners know by now that as far as consoles are concerned, that's more or less the only thing that I had for a very long time, um, with the exception of a Sega Master System in the very beginning. Um, but I never, I never had any sort of awareness of, you know, the people behind the console, I guess. Uh, until actually right around when Reggie joined Nintendo, that was about the time where I started becoming cognizant of, you know, these executives and producers and these people that are involved in the games that, that I like up until that point, it was just a, oh, well, there's a Nintendo on the shelf and I'm going to buy it or my parents are going to buy it and, you know, I'll enjoy these games. And I really didn't care who made them or why. So it was an interesting cross section because like I said, that that's about the time where I became more aware of these people. And so it was sort of perfect timing um, for me in that Reggie and also of course with his other two, you know, compatriots, um, you know, Miyamoto, Miyamoto and, and Iwata, um, sort of became Nintendo, you know, for me, like, They are the representation of that company and what they stand for. And so that's sort of impressed upon me at this point. And because he's been with the company for so long, um, in my mind, they're kind of inseparable now, Uh, which for me is a bummer that he's retiring. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy for him and I wish him the best in whatever he does, you know, going forward, whether it be just fully retiring and spending time with his family or moving on to other ventures or what have you. But from just a purely selfish perspective, I'm I am kind of bummed that, you know, he is now leaving Nintendo, you know, of course, Iwata has has left us. And really, there's only just kind of Miyamoto that's still there. And, you know, I've been keeping up with the Nintendo directs, the more recent ones, uh, as they've been, you know, releasing them. And uh, they're not bad. But the the folks that they have in front of the camera now uh, have a very very different approach to more them mechanical,
1: the, not as fun.
0: Yeah, a lot of the sort of wacky off the wall antics and and skits and things like that are are mostly gone, and they're just very straightforward like informational sessions, which from a utilitarian perspective get the job done. But I, I kind of missed the personality that was. A, a large part of what made nintendo so fun for a lot of people i think
1: yeah but they also when they were doing that were experienced probably their worst time in the console market they had in their entire history
0: true that is true that's one nice
1: yeah. way to look at it in any case i'm starting to get really hungry for a big new yorker pizza after all this discussion <laughs> about reggie fissime so i think we're about at the point where it's time to start wrapping it up so what do you think does reggie fissime hold up today I, i'm sorry that's the wrong um <laughs> wrong subject <laughs> Um, <laughs> Absolutely. the Reginator endures <laughs> So uh, that's pretty much it for this week uh, we, We're trying to keep it a little shorter. I think we've we've almost accomplished that. So almost. once again you can find us on all of the social media networks for the most part the only ones that matter anyway you know Facebook, Instagram, Twitter uh, you can find us at the emails at podcast at retrohangover.com. Uh, once again, as Shane said at the beginning of the show, you can see us Twitch at 2100 or nine o'clock Eastern time. Uh, we try to go on for about two hours. We've been going about an hour and a half. Uh, we'd love to see you there. Please interact, please interact. And, uh, that's pretty much the long and the short of it. Am I missing anything, Shane?
0: Uh, no, I, I think that about covers it. So like you said, um, depending on when this episode gets released, uh, you you might have uh, time to plan to join us on Twitch for our stream Sundays. And we uh, will hopefully finish up from some Final Fantasy adventure. And then, you know what? Who knows what we'll move on to from there. Um, but, uh, but no, I think that about covers it pretty well. So uh, I suppose until next time.
1: Play with your Dick Dragon joysticks.